You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Yes, it is such a pleasure to be here today. I am Kayla Coons. I am the missions director at Light a Candle Project. Um, it was started by Sean Foyt back in 2016 in response to some of the things that were going on in Iraq with ISIS. And um, he had been spending years in prayer and in worship. And he said, okay, now it's time to get out of the prayer closet and get out into the nation. So that's when Light a Candle started. So uh, really excited to be here, kind of share with you. And then at the end, share a little bit about Light a Candle and what we're doing how you can partner with it. Uh, Like Pastor Chris said, it was um, such a pleasure to be able to uh, start coming to this house in 2020 when the rest of Cobb County was closed and we had left our old church. They were still closed. They were closed through 2021, actually. But um, so we started coming here. We were so just impressed by the boldness. Um, That was part of what was on our hearts was just the boldness, getting back in church and um, We know that perfect love casts out fear, and so we believed in the perfect love of Jesus and that we didn't want to operate in fear anymore. We wanted to operate in joy and in freedom. So it was such a pleasure to be able to come here to connect with this house, to be sent out well from this house back in 2021. And now for Michael to be able to have the opportunity, we we come back um, from Savannah up here, and he's leading worship, which... Um, As Pastor Chris said today, he is not actually leading worship today because he is in a deer stand as we speak, which I'm sure (laughs) some of you wish you were too. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm not as good as a deer stand, I promise. Um, So I am the missions director. I'm a wife. I'm a mom of two. I'm an author and editor, lover of the Lord, and I'm a Cowboys fan, which I know only counts with a couple of you. Yeah, it only counts with a couple of you, but I'll get us out of here by noon so we can watch the game. Yeah. (laughs) So awesome. Um, So I actually owe my position at Light a Candle to Resurgent in a really unique way. Um, Because of coming on with Resurgent, we got connected with Stephen back when he was leading Burn Atlanta, came on with that, became a part of that, helped out with social media. And then we were in Savannah still helping out with Burn's social media. And it was a Sunday morning, and Resurgent was actually hosting the former missions director of Light a Candle and his wife here. And because Light a Candle is the missional and charity arm of Burn, um, on our Burn page, we were sharing the trips, the upcoming trips of Light a Candle. And as I was sharing it, I felt just the presence of God on the Jordan trip that they were having that year. And I called Michael. He's at worship practice at our church. I was like, I've got to go on this trip to Jordan. He was like, okay, <laughs> sure. Um, so, and it was only in a couple months, and I was able to go to Jordan. And on that trip, connected with Light a Candle in an incredible way, was brought on as a volunteer at first, and then became on staff. So, truly, if we had not come to this house, I would not be where I am today. So, there is just... Um, You know, there was just so much to be said for those little steps of obedience that open up something that you've been praying for for years. That was an opportunity that I've been praying for for over a decade and a half. So, um, you know, just those little steps of obedience, it's just really impactful. So through my years of going on short-term mission trips, uh, going to college for it, and just living life on mission um, with worshiper husband, you know, evangelist myself, I've really come to love Luke 10. Um, It just gives us the prescription for the Christian life. It gives us a prescription for going, 
And for praying at the end of this chapter, we see Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus, not getting caught up in the whirlwind of serving and doing and being, but just being at the feet of Jesus. So uh, Luke 10 is what I'm going to be speaking on today, and uh, I've got it up here. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, so um, we'll just go through it together. After this, the Lord appointed self was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So the title of my message today is The Scent and the Sender. Um, Jesus was speaking, you know, it's, we're singing so much about Jesus this morning and just reminding us that it's our best friend giving us the prescription for what we're supposed to do. And so I love that. that um, so our text today is the scent and the sender. We are obviously the sent ones. We are to be sent out. So whatever that looks like, we see in you know, other parts of the Gospels, the, where that's supposed to look like in our cities, in our towns, in our nation, and then to other nations. Um, and then, of course, we have beautiful Jesus as our sender. <clears throat> so we're going to go, uh, we'll go to the next slide. So in verse 1, um, we see that the Lord is appointing 72 others. So prior to this, he had sent his 12 disciples, and now he's going to be sending 72 other people out to go before him. Um, the Hebrew manuscript does say 70, while the Greek manuscript says 72. And the implication of this is that these were the number of nations. So if we looked back at Genesis 10, we would see the table of nations of the people that came from Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and where <clears throat> they went out into Europe, into Asia, into Africa. And so what this implication is for the Hebrew people of Jesus sending out 70 or 72, based on the manuscript that you're reading, is that their understanding of this would be that it's to all nations. So because there are 70 or 72 of them, they are being sent to all nations. And that's their understanding. That's our understanding that this is prescriptive because he's on his final journey to Jerusalem. So this is at the end of his ministry. He is kind of like cramming, <laughs> cramming for the, the exam here for all of them because he knows that he is going to Jerusalem to be crucified and he is trying to give them every bit of information that they need before they go out after he ascends into heaven and what they need to have stored in their hearts for how they are to go out. Can go to the next one. So we see that they're going out two by two. Um, and the importance of this is when you're doing ministry solo, you don't have accountability, you don't have safety, and you have a very limited point of view. So when you're in ministry, it's so important to have pluralities of elders in churches. It's important to have your spouse doing ministry with you. It's important to have other people doing ministry with you that you're accountable to, that you find safety in, and that offer a broader perspective. When we're going into 
homes or we're going into ministry situations, having somebody else with you just provides such a different aspect. We're, we're all parts of the same body, and they have a different perspective. They have maybe different testimonies that they've seen. They have a different gift of faith than you. They have a different experience that brings such a richness when you're sharing the gospel that you didn't have on your own. And it's amazing to see how that happens, how the Lord will speak through somebody else in a specific situation. And you find yourself like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Or like, that's really cool. Now that builds up my faith. So there's something very special and very necessary for us even about going two by two, about going in a plurality for that accountability, for that safety, and for the testimonies. So he was, um, they were going out into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So like I said, he's on his final journey to Jerusalem, and he's going to be going behind them. So they're going through Galilee. They're going to these places, and they are preaching the gospel ahead of him. So he's coming behind. And this is a unique opportunity because he hasn't yet died. That's not part of the story yet. But they're offering the gospel of the kingdom to those who would have had access to the writings, who knew that a Messiah was supposed to come, who had that prophecy, and that they were supposed to um, make that connection. So as these 72 are going out to these different places, that the people that they're ministering to should be making these connections about this Messiah, about whom they're speaking. They're sharing testimonies of his healing, and then he's going to come behind them and do the things that they have prophesied that he would do. So then we see that he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. People want to hear the gospel. I think we get into this mindset in the U.S. that, like, everybody's heard. They have the internet. There's no way nobody's heard the gospel because we have a church on every corner. And it's, you know, there's no way. Like, if they want to hear then they would hear, or like if they wanted Jesus, they would have already accepted them into their, him into their heart. But it's just not true. There's almost half of the population in the world is unreached. So people want to hear the gospel. They are ready. They are ripe for the harvest, but they have to actually hear it. We see him say the same statement in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, and in John 4, 35. This is clearly a concern for Jesus. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. They are ready. This was a concern. He said this in different contexts in each of the gospel because this was a point that he was trying to hammer into them, that they are white for harvest, that you are the laborer, that you are the one to go out into the harvest. He came to seek and save the lost, and he's empowering us to go out and to be the laborers in the field. And so what, is it, what does it matter if the fields are white with harvest and why do we need laborers? Because I'm not sure how many of you guys have like any type of agricultural background or like a yard garden or anything. Michael and I are really getting into that this year. And so we are failing a lot but learning a lot. And so we're learning about soil nutrients and the things like this, that you have to like soak your eggshells after you make an omelet and then go pour that on the garden later and it helps your soil. But if you leave a harvest, un, you know, unpicked, unharvested, it will rot away in the field and not only will it rot for that season, it will ruin the field for future crops. 
So I want you guys to just think about the implication for that when we're talking about the harvest being people. And that if you are called to a place, if people are put on your heart, if your workplace is your mission field and that those people are ripe for the harvest and you're letting it go unharvested because of pride or because of fear of man, fear of rejection, that field is going unharvested and we don't know if that field will be forever ruined because they you didn't take that opportunity when the Lord put that on your heart, that that field could be ruined for future people who are trying to go to plant, to water. It can go to rot. And so this agricultural community would have understood that. We will never let our crops go unharvested. That would be such a waste. So that's what we see there, that, that we, you know, the rotting crops would have been so pertinent for them that we, we want the same thing. We want to make sure that when we are called to a field, that we are taking ground there. All right. Yeah, so just pray for laborers and you're all set. He said, just pray for laborers to go to the field. No. (laughs) I mean, you know, like that would be nice, right? You're like, yes, Lord, send the laborers. You said send the laborers. So I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to stay in my prayer closet. Like, listen, nobody loves hanging out in a prayer closet more than me. I like walk up and down the riverside every morning at sunrise and pray and pray and pray. Like, I could just walk that all day. That's no problem. But there's a real world I have to return to. And... We are to pray, and then the next word is go. We have to go our way. Behold, I'm sending you out as a lamb in the midst of wolves. We are to pray and then to go. Sean Foyt likes to say, you don't need a word of the Lord to go. You have a whole book of them. It's all right here. Whole book of them. You don't need a freshly spoken word, a little, like, you know, individual prophecy to tell you to go. You need a word not to go. And if somebody tells you not to go, you need to ask them why they're contradicting the word. So truly, there's no excuse not to go, right? Like there's, you know, you got a whole book of them telling you to go. And then, you know, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot of like really like prayer and seeking like, Lord, should I go? No, it's how do I go? How are you sending me? Where are you sending me? To whom are you sending me? So then he gives us kind of the prescription here. Carry no money bag, no knapsack. Don't take stuff with you that is going to cause you to rely on anything else but me. If you're bringing um, a little duffel bag, bringing some money, carrying your wallet, you don't have to rely on him. You don't have to trust him for the provision. You're relying on your own strength. You're relying on your planning and your preparation. But we're to stay on mission. Greet no one on the road. You're following. You're on mission. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. I have a testimony of, we have a young man in Iraq that we work with. His name is Daniel. And he is so on mission with this about finding a person of peace that he'll pray and he'll be in his prayer closet. And he's like, all right, Lord, lead me to the people I need to speak to today. And the Lord will literally show him a map, and he will walk right up to somebody's front door and knock and find the person of peace there. And they welcome him in, and he sits down for chai with them, and he shares the gospel. And he has brought in, I mean, I think probably 120 people just in this last, like, year and a half. Yeah. By being led to their front doors. 
it's incredible because he trusted this. He trusted not in his own strength. He's not going through neighborhoods where he knows there might be people or asking friends to lead him to somebody. He prays the Lord, and the Lord leads him to front doors, and he's been bringing people into discipleship, leads them to the Lord, gets them baptized, brings them into a weekly discipleship. It's truly amazing how he does that, and it's something we can expect, too. Like, that's not just Daniel's story. Like, he has that trust, but we can have that trust, too. When I was in Jordan, we were in Petra, and we went to, we were looking for a restaurant for our team to eat some lunch, and so we had, like, Google Maps, like, where has good reviews? And so we pull up to that place, and we're like, no, this is not the place. We're not going here. But we had looked up the road, and, like, we all just kind of felt at one time, we're like, that, we're going to go to that place up there. There was nobody there. We were seated out on the porch, and we had kind of actually felt like a spirit of heaviness almost. And so we were praying against that. We're all sitting, you know, all sitting down at lunch, and we're praying against the spirit of heaviness. And the owner comes out. And so when you go as a group of Westerners to the Middle East, the owners of restaurants are very quick to bring you desserts and appetizers and things. And they're asked to take your video so they can put it on Facebook. Like, look at all these Americans enjoying my place. And so the owner comes out, and um, somebody on our team had a word of knowledge that he had some back pain. So we asked if we could pray for him. And he said, well, yes, but we're going to go next door. This, there's this hotel that I'm renovating next door to, to the restaurant. So we'll go over there so that you can pray for me in private. So we went over there, and we prayed over his back pain. He was healed immediately. And he was like, you know what's really cool? I've got something to show you. And he pulls out this coin that was from, I mean, probably like, I mean, nearly 2,000 years ago because it had a Roman emperor on the front and it had a cross on the back. And it was so crazy. And he said, you know, my father always told me that there was something special like about this coin and about this place and that, um, that God would reveal himself to me at some point. And he was like, but he never has. Like Allah has never revealed himself to me. And he said, but you guys came and you told me about my back pain. And then you prayed for me to Jesus and it was healed in that instant. And we gave him an injil, which is a copy of the New Testament in Arabic. And for the rest of the week, he was sending us videos of him reading it and asking questions. He said he had read through it like two or three times by the end of the week. It is incredible. Like, there is so much on this people of peace bit to this. When you're praying, when you're seeking the Lord to show you the people to whom you're to go, he reveals them. But you don't just go out and, you know, stand on the soapbox and cast your pearls before swine. You find the people of peace because those people are primed and ready for the gospel. John Wesley called it prevenient grace. It is a grace that precedes conversion. The Holy Spirit goes before you. Who knows how long before you? He has been priming people. He has been tilling that soil. He's been pouring that eggshell water on that soil, readying it to be planted And so there's just so much on that person of peace part that when you feel that deep in your soul that this is the place, this is the person, you get a word for somebody, for your waitress, for your waiter, for somebody in line at the grocery store, and you feel that peace settling on your spirit, you feel that quickening, that take advantage of that. Don't ignore that. That right there, that's your field for the day. That's your harvest. Don't let it go unharvested. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. So being a laborer, being a missionary, is work. Um, 
I'll tell you from experience, because I do social media for a missions organization, that we don't put the hard work on there a whole lot. Um, it can be a lot of long days. Um, it can be, especially in Middle Eastern culture, um, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., still sitting around drinking tea. It's, you know, it's long days. It's hard work. There's um, Sometimes the fruit doesn't show up right away. Sometimes there is rejection. But it's so rewarding when you get to be a part of that harvest. And those who aren't the goers are to be the senders. They, the missionaries do deserve their wages. Those who are living on the field, those who are going to the field, they need to be provided for so that their focus can be full-time mission work, so that their focus can be full-time on what they're supposed to be doing there. When we send out our long-term missionaries, we make sure that they are fully funded monthly before we send them out because we're like, the last thing we want is for you to get there and to think, oh, I need to get a job so I can cover my rent because then that's distracting from what they were called to do. If they're called to be full-time missionaries, they need to be full-time focused. So, yeah, it's just important to be a part of sending. So in 1 Corinthians 9.14, it says, In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Luke 10.8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Okay. So I know that when Jesus said this, he's talking to Jews about, like, don't be concerned about what the Gentiles might feed you or don't be concerned about, you know, these types of things, what they're going to feed you. We still need this promise today. <laughs> so if you ever go on the mission field, you are probably going to eat something terrible. Uh, I, I just, I can almost guarantee it. And, and what is even worse is that it's almost always going to be a delicacy that like costs them an arm and a leg. So you have to be, I mean, it takes some strong willpower. So I love Middle Eastern food, okay? I do a lot of my work in the Middle East. I love Middle Eastern food. I can put away some kebabs, some fatouche, some pita and hummus, you know, all the things that you're, like, getting up at Kava up the street. Like, all that stuff. Super good, right? Um, but there are some times when you're sitting on those floor couches around a, some plastic that they've laid with the food. This is the traditional way to eat it. You sit on the floor couch, which is called a doshek. And you eat the food that's been prepared for you. And sometimes you are really in your prayer language. <laughs> you're like, Lord, help me keep this down. And your prayers aren't so much, you know, when you pray for a meal and you're like, Lord, bless the hands that prepared it and the nourishment to my bodies. No, you're like, Lord, help me keep this down. <laughs> Please don't let there be eyeballs in there. I just want to, I want to eat this and I want to, I want to glorify you. I don't want to lose my witness by losing my lunch. So. You just pray. You, you get so close to God in those moments. And I will show you my personal testimony. You can go ahead and go to that next slide. Pacha. So um, look at that little sweet sheep. So I also edited, edited this for you guys um, because I want you to go and bless some waiters and waitresses for lunch today. I didn't want to upset sensitive stomachs too much. Pacha is a traditional Iraqi dish made from sheep's head, trotters, that's feet. Why, I, why, why called trotters? Feet and stomach. The cheeks and tongues, considered the best parts. <laughs> the stomach lining would be filled with rice and lamb stitched with a sewing thread. Sheep brain is also included. 
that's Pacha. So I was in Iraq back in April, and I had gone on this house visit with a group of unbelievers, and I'm sorry, with a family of unbelievers, and it was during Ramadan. So Muslims cannot eat while the sun is up. And so um, because they couldn't eat and tr- serve us like they traditionally would in Eastern culture, when somebody comes to your house, you fix food, you fix tea and all these things. But since they weren't eating and drinking, we respected that and we didn't eat or drink any, anything as well. So the mother of the house was just distraught by this because she had house guests and she didn't give us anything. And so she said, will you come back and can I make you lunch? I said, yep, perfect. I'll be back in October and you can make me dolma. So dolma is this amazing food and it is different types of vegetables like peppers, onions, grape leaves, and it's stuffed with like a seasoned rice and meat, and then it's cooked in this tomatoey broth. It's really delicious. You really cannot go wrong with dolma. So I was like, yeah, I'd love dolma. So I got her information. We've been texting back and forth those six months. I come to visit her again when I was back, and I had a couple of uh, team members with me. And mind you, I had forgotten that she had said she was going to cook us dolma. So we had eaten some lunch at the house and then got there, and her daughter brings out this giant platter of dolma. And I was like, all right, guys, remember Luke 10, 8, you eat whatever they put before you. And you're going to like it. But um, so they're just kind of gingerly, like, scooping some stuff on their plate. And I'm like, nope, I'm a Rocky. And so I, like, threw down some food on my plate and I'm eating it, and I'm just talking and chatting, and I'm eating the dolma. And I was like, oh, this is delicious. It's so good. And then I pop in what I thought was beef. <laughs> it was pacha. And, yeah, yeah, yes, it was. And so if you've ever bitten into, like, you know, some some really good barbecue. So, you, you, you know, you were expecting this barbecue, this shredded type of beef situation. And so you're ready to chew for a minute. No, my mouth went straight down. It became like pate in my mouth. And I was like, mm, this isn't beef. And so I just closed my eyes. And I was like, mmm, mmm, mmm. And I got really close with the Lord right then. I was like, Lord, you're going to have to cover this because I cannot choke on this right now. Like, you're going to have to help me will this down. And so I was able to eat that pacha and followed up with some cucumbers and olives and a big swig of tea. But that is just, uh, you know, one of those moments where you eat and drink what's set before you and you follow Luke 10 like you really mean it. Next, you heal the sick in it, and you say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In the Greek, that's therapeuo, to heal, to cure, to restore, to health. Jesus was expecting that when they were going to these places of peace, that there would be people in it who were sick, who were demonized. And he said, heal them. Cast out the demons. Like, that is, your, that is what you're supposed to do. That's what you're called to do. You're not supposed to sit around like, Lord, are you going to heal them? Heal them. You're in the place of peace. They've been primed to receive it. They're ready. They have that faith in them. Even though they are not believers yet, they are ready with that faith to be healed. They're believing that they can be healed because the Holy Spirit has gone before you. They're people of peace. We see that, uh, you know, in Acts 28, 31, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So when you're going into these places, you're healing, you're casting out demons, and you aren't holding back what you know about Jesus. You are speaking with all boldness. 
you're believing that he does what he says he will do. You're believing in the promises that he will open up doors that you may not have expected. He will use testimonies from your life. He will use healing that you've received in your body or that you've seen before, builds that gift of faith. And then because we know that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that those things that you've seen before, he replicates, he does it again in those moments. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable for that day, on that day for Sodom than for that town. So what we know from this is that we saw in the last verse that you proclaim to the people of peace, the kingdom of God has come near to you. For those people, it is to their benefit that the kingdom of God has come near. It is a blessing. It is comfort. It is strength. It is the belief and the hope that oversee, that surpasses all else, the peace that passes all understanding. But for those who reject Jesus, the kingdom of God coming near is to their detriment. Because they've rejected him, they've willfully rebelled against what he has called them to do, what he's calling them into. And so when the kingdom of God comes near to them, it's painful because it's, it's like friction. You know, it's going against what they want to do. They're not ready to yield, and it's like a detriment to them. And for these 70, 72 disciples to leave the house that has rejected them, they're not just going into, like, a side street. When it says go into the streets, it's talking about a widely traveled public place. So they're leaving this house that has rejected them. They're going to a widely traveled public place, and they're saying shame on this town. Like, shame on all of you because you're rejecting the gospel. It says, nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near, and it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. When Sodom was destroyed, that was during the time of the Abrahamic covenant. This was even before the law of Moses. But these people still had a moral law. Even before the law of Moses, even before God's covenant with his covenantal people, there was still that knowledge of good and evil. That was what caused the, caused the downfall. You ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew good and evil. They chose to willfully rebel against God's law. And so they were destroyed. But there is an even worse destruction available for these towns that he's going to go on to name Bethsaida, Capernaum, Tyre, and Sidon. Because they have heard the gospel and they've rejected it. And that is so much different because they have had the opportunity to hear from Jesus himself, to hear from the disciples, to witness miracles, and they still said, nope, I like my religious spirit better. I like knowing how many steps I'm supposed to walk out my door on Saturday, and that's good enough for me. I don't need a personal relationship. I don't need anything that requires me to sacrifice. Because the sacrifice of don't eat this, don't eat that, or walk these certain steps, that sacrifice is a lot easier than the sacrifice of your life, than the sacrifice of your desires every single day, taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following him. So they preferred to keep that religious spirit and reject Jesus, and that is why it was more bearable for Sodom than for these towns. And even when we share today, we have to know that when people are rejecting the gospel, they're not rejecting you. So when you're feeling that fear of man, and you're worried about that rejection, 
It's not you. They're rejecting Jesus. And when you're speaking the truth and love, when you're speaking the gospel, and when you're sharing personally, when you're sharing testimonies, and they're rejecting it, then you have to just wipe the dust off your feet and pray that that is a seed that has been planted. Pray that it takes root. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, I planted the seed. This is Paul speaking. Planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. So even when somebody rejects the gospel, you are praying that that is a seed that has been planted, that it is not falling on rocky soil, but that it will find its way into good soil, that somebody will come behind you, maybe with a different testimony, maybe with a different story, maybe with a different way to interact that will cause that seed to take root. So even when somebody rejects the gospel, there's still hope. There's still a belief in my spirit, even when somebody straight up turns me down, Lord, send somebody else. That's when I pray for laborers even harder. Lord, send a different laborer. Because it's not about me. It's not about me planting or me harvesting. It is about those fields being harvested. So if that's not the moment, we're praying that they still get harvested. And sometimes you get to be a part of the planting and the harvesting. And I don't know about you, but that is the best. (laughs) That is the best feeling. When you get to see somebody go from darkness all the way into light, that is the best. There is something so special about that that comes even more than, than the satisfaction of being part of the planting or being part of the harvesting that you weren't part of the planting. Being able to see somebody go all the way through is something so special. This, um, this past April, I had a team member, and she and a couple of people on our team went to do this house visit with this woman named Salma and her mother-in-law, and they shared the gospel. And she didn't accept, the, the mother-in-law didn't accept at that time, but they took a Bible, and they said, you know, we'll, we'll read this. We've got some other literature and things like this. We'll read it. And so they were open, but they weren't accepting at that time. So we just prayed, like, Lord, let that seed take root. She went back last month. Um, she was with us in October as well. And she took a different set of people. She took another two or three people with her to revisit Salma and her mother-in-law. And because of the the testimonies and the the, you know, difference that, had happened in them over the last six months, they came to accept Jesus at that time, which is just, yes, incredible. And so Victoria got to be part of both the planting and the harvesting in that moment. Like, even though nobody else on her team from April were the same people as were on her team in October, she got to see it from start to finish, and that was so impactful for her to be able to see it go all the way through. My last testimony is... um, we also got to see this last year. So we went and visited this, it's, we call it the flood community. So it's a um, like unofficial refugee camp. And it's where they've just put up tents made of tarps and just kind of created this community on this abandoned city block. Back in January of 2022, a flood just ripped through there and devastated everything. These people who already had nothing now had less than nothing. And our um, organization was able to raise $40,000 within like 12 hours 
to respond to that need to take some distribution stuff, some new tarps, blankets, propane heaters, food, things like this to respond to this need. And so because of responding to that need then, we've been able to keep up a relationship with them. Sometimes you respond to physical needs to be able to have a gateway to spiritual needs, right? So we went and visited this community, and we were doing a distribution, and we were invited um, into this one tent. And so we went, and we were like, okay, these are people of peace. They were the one family out of these 50 who invited us over for tea. And as we sat down, I kid you not, there was a white dove that landed on their tent. It was so cool. And we were all like, look at that, look at that. There's a white dove. This is a, be- this is a place of peace. So we started sharing the gospel, and um, so Ramadan had just finished at that time, and these young boys, 18 and 17, said, we didn't, we just faked it during Ramadan, we didn't pray, because Islam is so empty, we're like, he, God has never done anything for us, we've asked of him, there's nothing, there's no, there's nothing, this is empty, it's not, it's not peaceful, we don't, we don't like this, so we were telling them, we were like, you know, we actually serve Jesus, he's you know, he is a place of peace. He is refuge. He is hope. And we're sharing this, and their eyes are just widening. And these are young, young men. You know, we have a tendency, I think, in the West to be like, oh, you know, teenagers, they're so rebellious. And these boys were hungry for the gospel. They wanted Jesus, and they said, yep, we're done with Islam. We want what you have. Tell us more. We want it. So we gave them audio Bibles, and we came back the next day and started answering questions that they had. They're like, yes, we want to follow Jesus. So we led them, we helped get them connected with discipleship, and then returned back there on this past April, and the boys were like, we bought a Bible, which is incredible because they have nothing. They don't have a job, and in uh, Muslim culture, they'll buy a nice family Quran, and they'll put it up on a high shelf, and that is, you know, that's the place of honor. And these boys pulled their money together, and they bought themselves a Bible, and they put it up on that shelf right by the Quran. Yeah, they were blessing that home. They're like this. We are staking our claim. And so they've got younger siblings. Their parents still aren't believers. But their mother was in pain. And so she, you know, she was like, I've seen the change in my boys over this past year. She's like, they're loving. They're hopeful. They say, even though we have nothing, Mom, we have hope. We have Jesus. We don't need anything else. He provides. We always have food. And so... She was open, and she said that she would receive some prayer for her legs. So we called the oldest son over. We're like, this isn't something special for us. This is you. You have the power of Jesus. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Put your hands on your mom's knee and pray for her to be healed. And he said, what words do I pray? We said, talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus. He's going to tell you. He puts his hand on her knee, and he starts just quietly, you know, praying in Arabic. And she said, wow. And we're like, what what happened? She was like, I just saw Yeshua in white lights in front of my eyes while we were praying. And we were like, yeah, that's Jesus. Like, he's here. And she was like, I felt that pain go all the way down through my body and just out through my feet. She's like, I don't feel any more pain. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't about us. It wasn't anything like that. Her son was able to pray. He, for the first time, was able to step into a new revelation of who Jesus was. And because of that, his mother accepted Jesus that day. Yes. Yeah. The Lord is on the move in the Middle East. And it's just so incredible to be able to be a part of it. Um, I have a quick video. If we can show that, I'll step to the side. And you guys can see kind of what we're doing at Light a Candle in the Middle East. 
What is God doing in the Middle East right now? Isaiah 43:19 says, "See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland." We know how the media portrays the Middle East, but we need to see this region through the Father's eyes. We see the narrative of intentional love and the pursuit of a heavenly Father who loves this region with a consuming passion. Jesus cared for people not only by meeting their spiritual needs, but also their physical needs. With this as our model, we have been seeing incredible fruit that even our translators can see. Seeing you guys like providing every hope and all the all the energy and smiles and uh, happiness and all the kindness that you have in your heart for all those children, watching you providing it with of selflessness and, and all the goodness of, that you have in your heart. It, it, it has been a pleasure. Like actually, I can't describe, I, I don't have words like to describe the, good, my, the kindness and the beautifulness that you have provided. It means a lot for me, like personally. Yeah, like, I see light in you all. I've seen the light of you. Like, like the light of, of God. That's reflecting on you, that you are reflecting it to the children. As new believers are coming to Jesus in numbers like we've never seen before, we must answer their need for bold discipleship and loving community. New believers are often turned away from churches due to fear of retribution, but we are welcoming them in as our brothers and sisters with joy. God has been building a kingdom base in the Middle East for the last seven years through our long and short-term teams founded on worship and prayer to raise up and resource the underground church in the Middle East, which is growing like wildfire. Continuing our history of relationship and ongoing discipleship, we're seeing believers raised up to not only serve their community, but to be sent out across the 1040 window to shine the light and love of Jesus. We are all called to usher in the kingdom harvest, whether you partner financially, get on a plane and come with us, or most importantly, pray and worship over the nations. Jesus is glorified in your obedience to the Great Commission. Join the story that God is writing right now. I'm sure most of you guys recognize that song. That was on our most recent trip. We organized a whitewater rafting trip for our short-term team as a cover to be able to take a busload of new believers out to the river to be able to baptize them in a huge celebration. Um, so that was so special. They were singing, I have decided to follow Jesus in Arabic. And there's nothing that will make you boohoo harder than hearing people whose literal lives are at stake for taking this step, saying the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. So that's just a, a special time. God is moving so much in the Middle East and across the world throughout the 1040 window. And the reason that we go, the reason that we give is um, 
Oh, that's our family. That was the, those are the two boys right here on the left. Those are the two boys that gave their life to the Lord. And then their mom is right there. That was the day that she accepted Jesus. That was our team back in April. And the next one. Yeah, so why go and give? 42% of the world lives in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys, but that is a staggering statistic. That is almost half of the population. 85% of those live in the 1040 window, which is that rectangle that you see there. So in that small area, 85% of those unreached peoples live in that area. Less than 3% of mission work is to the unreached people groups of the 1040 window. And then 5.7 million people in 189 people groups are unengaged, which means not only are they unreached, unreached meaning that there are very few missionaries, very few missions organizations, very few churches, very little money. They are unengaged, which means no church, no missionary, no agency has gone to those people groups. And that is why we go and give. And that is why Light a Candle focuses um, a lot of our work on the 1040 window, on those unengaged, unreached people groups, why we're raising up the underground church in Iraq to not only serve their own communities, but to go out to be the sent ones and to go to the other nations in the Middle East. And so if you would like to be a part of what Light a Candle is doing, we have a QR code that's about to be up on the screen. This is our Send Me form. And it's a quick 45-second form. You can pull out your phones, scan the QR code. And if the Lord's been tugging on your heart to be a goer today, I'd love to have you join me. Um, this is just a quick form. It lets us know, you know, if you are feeling the call of the Lord. Maybe you don't know what nation, but you feel the call to go on a short-term trip. We'd love to have you. But if you, you know, maybe you can't go, but you want to do something that's still impactful, you can sponsor a child. We have a child sponsorship program in India. It was um, created in 2018 as a response to the massive child trafficking that happens in India and a response to the temple prostitution that young girls as young as eight are forced into. And we're rescuing these children because their parents will sell them into slavery to be able to buy food. And they will sell their children. These are not children who are orphans. These are children with at least one parent. And these parents are working in the fields day in and day out and still do not have food to provide for their families. And so when we sponsor children, we're able to keep families together. We're able to keep children in their homes to protect them from being trafficked. And it provides for their family. These children are eating better than 91% of the people, uh, of the other children in India. They're provided good food. They're provided um, an education. They're provided medical care, school supplies. And we have children that are graduating from these programs, and they don't want to leave India. They want to become doctors and lawyers and police officers to make India better. And they want to stay there, and they want to improve their communities. And so the Lord is doing an incredible thing there. And so if you'd like to sponsor a child, I'd love to, to talk to you about that. And then finally, you can donate. We have um, a lot of different options. You can donate to our Middle East Fund, which allows us to do projects in the Middle East. We have our house-to-house -house projects, which we're raising up the underground church. You can sponsor one of our long-term missionaries from the missionary drop-down. So if you scan that QR code, it takes you to our donate page, and you can see all of the different options that are there. 
But if you are just looking to be activated, if you felt the Lord stirring you and you just want to be activated or you want to learn more, I'd love to to talk to you afterwards. I'll be out there. We have some merch, and it's not because we're looking to just shill products. All the proceeds from that merch goes directly towards a distribution that we're going to be doing in Iraq in January that's going to be able to provide for refugees, food, medical care, things like that. So um, I'm going to ask Pastor Chris to come on up and call the prayer teams. But thank you so much for having me today, Resurgent. Yeah, let's For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website.